Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Anderson, I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. Is Mueller making his last stand tomorrow with Manafort? Or are more indictments coming? Or are we really now on Report Watch? The president's backers are preparing for war. That's why they're pushing Democrats to make statements about impeachment. Now, one of the president's main warriors is here tonight. Judiciary Committee member Matt Gates, the congressman from Florida, what he thinks happens next legally and politically. Plus, celebrities among those indicted in a massive college admission stink. This is not about Tinseltown. It's about what may be going on in towns all across this country. And... I still don't get why the U.S. isn't more aggressive with this Boeing plane. They know there are issues with the flight controls. It's not about panic. It's about practicality. Why be so determined to leave them in the air? Is it about money? What do you say? Let's get after it. All right, look, so here's what we have coming up this week. You got Manafort sentencing tomorrow for that D.C. case uh, about the witness tampering and what went on during his plea agreement where he lied to the feds. You got Michael Flynn. You got Roger Stone. You got Rick Gates, all entangled in the wide web of the Russia probe, all face court action over the next 72 hours. Now, it could tie up a lot of threads for us on Mueller's endgame. It also could not do that. The sentencing tomorrow will be a big appeal, but... It's not the biggest part of what Mueller still has to explain. Is there another round of action? That's a legitimate question. Here's what we do know. Both sides of the coming political storm are preparing for all-out war when this thing comes out. I told you from the beginning this was going to be a political fight. Ultimately, we're about to have it. Now, you know which side Congressman Matt Gates is on. He's all in for Team Trump. The Judiciary Committee member joins us now. Welcome back to primetime. Thank you, though. We're not preparing for war, Chris. My constituents actually go to war and fight wars. This is a political battle. Uh, Look, I agree. I wish it were just a semantical thing, but it will be so ugly. It will be so intense and it will be so unfounded (laughs) as it it goes along. So I use it as metaphor. But you're right. We all honor our fighting men and women. They make the real sacrifices. I hope you guys remember that when the Mueller report comes out in terms of how you conduct yourselves. To that point, let's get something out of the way. All right. Mm -hmm. When Cohen was coming before Congress, you didn't like it. You didn't believe in his credibility. You thought it was the wrong move for the committee. But you said things that were ugly and obvious. I want to put up the tweet to remind people. And I also want to remind people that you decided to own it. Very rare these days that somebody admits they make made a mistake. What was your mistake? Well, Chris, your viewers and my constituents know I fight hard, sometimes too hard. This was one of those cases. I should not have mentioned Michael Cohen's family in that tweet. I apologize. Took it down. I'll try to do better. And just to be clear, there's nothing coming that you have or anybody else that you know about has about any of these suggestions that you made in that tweet. I'm not going to discuss that because to do so would be to invoke someone's family, and it's just not not a line I'm going to cross. My challenges with Mr. Cohen deal with his credibility, uh, not uh, his family, and that's why I'm not going to go into that stuff. Well, good for you. Keep it clean. If you can't win the argument on the facts, 
you're not going to win it at all. I, I will thank you, though, Chris. When, yes. when the other CNN personalities were, like, calling for me to be arrested and imprisoned, you made the point that I wasn't threatening Michael Cohen. I was trying to cast him in a bad light as a bad dude. I did so inartfully and in a way that I, I shouldn't have. But those are two very different things, and I appreciate you for drawing out that distinction as Don Lemon was breathing in and out of a paper bag or whatever he was doing. Well, listen, D. Lemon can defend himself. He has his own feelings. This is my show. I do it my way. Uh, so let's get after it right now on what matters. Uh, do you believe that this is about the end, or do you think there's a chance we see more indictments? I don't know. I do think that uh, Judge Ellis and Judge Jackson have a very different view on the genesis of this entire Russia investigation. Judge Ellis clearly viewed the prosecution of Manafort not as a sincere one to punish someone for their wrongdoing, but as a mechanism to try to get to President Trump. Judge Jackson appears well, well, to have taken on a second. exception. Hold on a second. I understand why you're, what you're pointing to in the rhetoric of the judge, but yeah. the judge did allow the case to go forward. Well, I mean, yeah, uh, and did endorse the, the prosecution. Yeah, but he, and the, he, and the he gave Manafort functionally an 80 percent pardon by by not following the federal sentencing guidelines and knocking him down so much. But if the judge so thought that it was a political move, he would have thrown it out. Well, I mean, that's what a judge does. Well, he that's said not it was a political. He said it was a political move. The point is, Judge Ellis is done. Now we're on to Judge Jackson. Right. And the point I would make there is that Judge Jackson seems to have a very different view. She was very harsh with Manafort when. She, when she made factual findings that she believed his, she, he violated his plea right. deal. But here's the important context for the country. This stuff that Manafort is accused of doing wrong has nothing to do with his service in the Trump campaign. Manafort did some ugly stuff before he was ever working for Trump. He did some ugly stuff after he was working for Trump. But during the time that he was working for the president, that his work for the campaign never has resulted in a criminal charge. And I think it's important to remember why Paul Manafort was even working for Donald Trump. You and others have said, well, why does Donald Trump have these seedy characters around him, like Cohen, like Manafort? And with Manafort, it was very simple. Donald Trump kept winning states in the primary, but local state parties kept installing Ted Cruz delegates, faithless delegates to the convention. And when you look around, there's not a whole hell of a lot of people who are like zeroed in on the intricacies of managing a right. convention battle. Manafort was brought in for that discrete right. purpose. He was then out. And I, I have yet to see any evidence that his work associated with the campaign had anything to do with any of these charges. Well, allow me to enlighten you, Congressman. First of all, it is a legitimate question of what the president knew about what Manafort was doing because the suggestion that Manafort was a new commodity for the president is poppycock. He's known him for many, many decades. He's known him for many iterations of his life. And who I'm not. No, first of all, as you well know, I don't believe that the standard for acceptable behavior in our government, let alone our presidency, is if it's not a felony, you're fine. I don't see criminality as some kind of litmus test as you being OK in public office. So let's yeah, put the dude, standard to the side. We're talking about a sentencing. We're talking about a criminal no, no, sentence. No, yeah, no, no. But you're making a larger point, And I'm, I'm responding to it with some different context. One, we need to know what the president knew about Manafort, because everybody who knows Paul Manafort has somebody who grew up in New York politics knows what he was about overseas and knew that he made money in ways that you may not want to know. So the surprise factor, very low for this president, in my estimation. Secondly, Paul Manafort colluded with people connected to Russian interference. Did he this commit a polling argument? It's not a polling. Oh, it's not a polling the argument. Sharing of the polling. You, you, made that you took internal data. You <sighs> gave it to somebody that the government believes is connected to Russian intelligence. And then the Russian trolls started targeting the same places and faces that the campaign did. 
That is you're, you're, you're collusive really making behavior. The you're really making the argument that the polling information that Paul Manafort may or may not have shared with the Russians was like the, the not thing may that or makes may the not. evidentiary he, collusion? He are, did. Are, no, here's the problem. None of the polling was right. Every poll in America on the 2016 presidential it's not about, election it's not about was basically wrong. It's not about its accuracy. So, it's, so about its, about it's about its collusion it's is in, that he was sharing like some shoddy polling This is what collusion is. Collusion is no. a behavior. You're saying if it's not a crime, it doesn't count. And he wasn't charged with a crime that has to do with this behavior. You are correct. Mm -hmm. You are correct. But I don't see a felony as the standard. Collusion is a behavior. Conspiracy or a felony in furtherance of that action would be a crime. I'm not saying Manafort committed a crime, but I'm well, saying he gave entry burden, Chris. I, I get I get all that. Right. You're saying there are bad things people can do that fall short of crimes that are bad things that he I'll, did I'll, do. I'll, I'll, I'll grant that. I'll grant that, that he that did premise. do that. Roger right. Stone but, did do that. Trump Jr., Jared and Manafort did do. But they but, all did things that were wrong. But Chris, what's your what, what is the way as a country that we that we vet out the truth or falsity of those claims? Typically, the forum that we use for truth or falsity is a court of law. Now, if Robert well, we know Mueller, the truth of the matter is asserted. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me let me, let me finish the argument. Please. If Robert Mueller had evidence that there was conspiracy with Russia yes. on the part of Paul Manafort, he would have charged him for doing that. You're right. But 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 he never brought those charges. That's so true. For you and others to just like castigate the president over these issues is very unfair because no, it is the, not. the evidentiary standard hasn't been met. No one has ever proven any of these things. The standard is not unless it's a felony. It's fine. You want it to be that. It's not about the conduct. It's about proving the conduct. It's not the severity of the conduct. It it's has been proven. It's he gave the polling data to a bad guy Where? connected to Russian intelligence. The trolls wound up targeting it, the same it, places and but faces. But if that was proven in court and if that was a crime, it's not a crime. as such. It's conspiracy not a with crime. a foreign government? It's not a conspiracy. Well, look, this is one of the reasons why David Cicilline and I are introducing bipartisan legislation to tighten down on the foreign agent activity that occurs in the United States. Paul Manafort, well, hold as you on well know, hold on, is hold not on. one of the only dudes that engages in, in, oh, hold in on. representing Matt. foreign governments. And we should all crack down Congressman, on that. pick your poison. Either if it's not a crime, you don't want to talk about it and leave the president alone, or you want to change the rules to tighten the screws no. down more on exactly what your guys did. Look, Which is what, regardless, regardless of how you feel about the president or Paul Manafort or any of the characters in this particular saga, it is a problem in Washington that people represent foreign governments and they don't register. And then the, the enforcement mechanisms to find those people and hold them accountable are toothless. Republicans and Democrats agree on this. And actually, there's legislation Good. moving in the Congress now to deal with it. So Good. that's a positive. But when you try to then say, well, Manafort shared this polling information, so yeah. clearly that's evidence of collusive behavior. It is. No one has proven that in a court of law. That's you're just, exactly you're just what saying Mueller that says. on CNN. No. Yeah, Mueller That's says what Mueller what he says. Oh, so because Mueller, so Mueller, who, along with a team of people who've donated to the Clinton campaign, oh, here we go. donated to Obama's campaign. Well, Bob it's Mueller is context. more Republican than it's you've been on context. your best day. Listen, it's not just Mueller. It's the members of his team he is that reflect charge. bias against the president. But he doesn't get to be the judge, jury, and executioner. Of he's, in charge of the, he's in charge of the office of special counsel. But merely the fact that he has made an allegation in court does not mean it is true. The reason we have Paul Manafort's lawyers is to go never and test those it. things. Paul Manafort never denied it. It's not about a felony or you're fine. You can do bad things that are not a crime. And for you to be disinterested in that is silly.
You it's care about things all the time. It's about the evidentiary that standard. It's a, it's, I'm not saying we don't care about things that aren't crimes. I'm saying we're not going to impeach anyone he didn't even for deny something it. that isn't a crime. He didn't even deny giving that's it to because him. He was, that's because he was making a plea deal, but as you've seen through Which Jerome he Corsi, lied about. If he was right. going to lie about other things, why not lie about but this? But you have evidence on the record that the Mueller team was trying to get people into those plea agreements and then force them to lie about oh, Trump. Oh, now. That's why Jerome Corsi. First of all, hold on, Chris. You, hold on. Hold what proof do you have that Mueller tried to get people to lie about the President. Corsi's testimony. Corsi saying publicly that the reason that his plea deal got 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 shattered was because he was unwilling to lie. So that's that, what he that, says. You don't have any proof that that's what happened, Mister. No, what's but, your evidentiary standard? Look, Jerome look, Corsi, not somebody that I think you would hang your hat on as a credibility contest. Now you want to take his word on. <laughs> no, look, I'm not saying that that, that Corsi I can't is take like Mueller's word, but you want to take Corsi's no, word. No, I think all these things should be tested. <laughs> I think all of them should be tested. That's I what think we're doing right now. The judicial forum is the right way to test them, and I certainly don't look. It's not the only forum, what, Matt. Chris. If this is what they got, if what the Democrats got is that Manafort shared some polling information with some people that were loosely affiliated with, with Russians. I, I do. Not, I think that well, clearly that is not going to result in What would satisfy with you? And the bigger, you and the, what would satisfy oh, you? Unless you, you had a picture of like Donald Jr. with Putin oath, on his lap, he no, wouldn't go the, under oath. And that's why he, he wouldn't go under oath. Under oath. That's not true. Yeah, that were doctored up by his lawyers to make sure he doctored wasn't exposed up, to anything. A, that, would be a, that would be a bar violation that you're alleging. Come on, Matt. If you have knowledge of someone doctoring evidence... Well, their sworn response is under oath, Chris. My I point know. is, your question was, what lawyered. Would, what would raise the level lawyered. of impeachment? <laughs> Carefully so lawyered. That, that, so that, what? That doesn't mean A anything. president has the highest duty in this nation, to be honest. He has the he, highest duty in this right, nation to be that he straight. Hasn't been. He and, wouldn't and, go and under oath. Is, you guys he promised us he would, Matt. And then Adam he mocked Schiff his went promise. on television and said, we have the goods on Trump, that we have demonstrable evidence of collusion. And they have come up with zero. And right now, the big problem that the Democrats have is that you got one group of people who run the institution of power and Pelosi and Schiff and Elliot Engel and that crowd. And then you got a whole other group of people who actually run the energy of the party, AOC, Presley, Tlaib, uh, uh, that, that crowd. And so I think that, you know, this schism is going to be interesting to watch play out because you even saw Ocasio-Cortez say today she does not agree with Pelosi that you take impeachment off the table. And so I, I think that is the oh, real... So did Nadler. Uh, Nadler said question. that as well. But look, I, I get the gamesmanship of what's going on politically, trying to push Democrats to have a position now on impeachment before they even know what the heck they're talking well, we about. We didn't push him. Wait, wait, we didn't push him. Nancy Pelosi came out and said to the Washington... She said, I don't think he's Washington worth Post. it. But in truth, she's always been shy on impeachment. We did, we even before the midterms, she was saying, you know, if you can't get removal in the Senate, and I mean, you know, you're not seeing a lot of buy-in from Republicans about this or anything that goes against the president's interests. That's because there's then, no basis then what's for it. Even that, the, well, that, that's not the basis for your guys being supplicants. You're supplicants because you think it works for you with this president. You're afraid of what it'll do to you in primaries. Oh, absolutely it is. Come on, Chris. We believe in this president building an economy that works for the forgotten men and women, renegotiating trade deals, ending wars, and giving the Amer Americans a sense of optimism that a is A sense of measurable. optimism? Absolutely. When you look at consumer confidence, business confidence, if you look at the way manufacturers are investing in capital investment, that shows tangible evidence of an optimism that raises wages. We've got wages growing at the fastest rate in a decade. You so have good things are happening in, in this country. And the that fact that well, Democrats that want matters. to talk about the crimes that Paul Manafort committed prior to 2016 oh, you or guys after derailed the presidency. is a freaking joke. You guys derailed the way, a that's presidency. That's why Trump's going to win. You guys that's derailed a presidency over sex 
in the in the Oval Office. You guys, I was yeah. in high school. You guys, so I know, but, but let me tell you, Brother Gates, do you, if you had been here at that time, you and I would have had you having hey, this man, exact discussion. I, I don't want to. You would have been part of the morality sexual. police, but, like Mike Pence was oh, back in the day. Listen, Mike Pence used to write essays about how we must we must conform to a moral standard with our elected officials. This is what you do. You invite guests on your show to tell them what they would have believed 10 years ago. I'm saying I would have liked to have seen you then. No, I invite you on the show to do exactly what you're doing, to make your argument to my audience about what you think matters and what you think is going to happen. And you're always welcome to do exactly that. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it, man. Congressman Matt Gates, truly, I appreciate it. Be well. All right. So, look, you think that's something hot? It's nothing about what is going to come because Matt Gates is right about this. When you remove it from the court, all you have is opinion. What is the evidentiary basis? For whom? For me or for you? It's going to be subjective. And politicians are going to be fighting this out and they're going to be spreading it in all different kinds of directions. And that's when it's going to be really important for us to do our job. That is just a taste of your future for good or bad. All right. Now, another good or bad situation. We all know if you've got kids, what's one of your big dreams? Let them be healthy and happy. And God, let me have the money to send them to a good college. And I hope they get in. But what would you do? Would you break the rules? Would you break the law? A story that everyone is talking about. And I don't think we've heard the half. These big shot celebrities are suspects. It's meaningless to me. It's not about Tinseltown. I think it's about what could be going on in every town in this country that we're just finding out about my case for my suspicion next money influencing college admissions no shock there let's be honest but the divide between the haves and have nots has never been exposed like we just saw a systematic fraud worthy of a rico bust that affects every level of admissions and to elite universities What was it powered by? Millions in fake donations by the well-to-do. And not just to the universities. That's not what I'm talking about. This was different. We've never seen anything this sophisticated and entrenched. And my concern is that we've only scratched the surface. Fifty people were charged. Thirty-three parents. Nine college coaches. Prosecutors call it a $25 million criminal enterprise. Listen. The largest college admissions scam ever prosecuted by the Department of Justice. Now, the parents are like big shots in the world of Hollywood, fashion, business, names you know, like actress Felicity Huffman and Lori Laughlin and fashion designer Massimo Giannulli. In other words, these parents are a catalog of wealth and privilege. We believe all of them, parents, coaches and facilitators, lied, cheated and covered up their crimes at the expense of hardworking students and taxpayers everywhere. See, that's the problem. It's not about the bold-faced names. It's about the bold lawlessness. How do the feds know so much? The man at the center gave up everyone when he was caught. This guy, William Rick Singer. He pleaded guilty to running a bogus college counseling business and charity. So the question of whether or not it was legit or not is answered. He answered it, okay? As he told one parent, What we do is we help the wealthiest families in the U.S. get their kids into school. Now, he did that in one of two ways. One was by paying a guy to take tests for the kids or go in and fix the answers on their tests. The other was by outright bribing college coaches and administrators to get the kids recruited as athletes because admission standards for athletes tend to be lower. Never mind that some of the kids never played the sports they were recruited for. Sometimes they were photoshopped into stock photos 
and were expected to quit the team the moment they got to school. But he wasn't the only one in on the fraud, Singer says. They all knew everyone involved. Proof? Plenty, say prosecutors, including taped conversations and electronic communications, like where Felicity Huffman is caught worrying if her daughter's SAT score went up too much. Meanwhile, Laughlin's daughter wasn't even sure she wanted to go to college. I don't know how much of school I'm going to attend, but I'm going to go in and talk to my deans and everyone and hope that I can try and balance it all. Um, But I do want the experience of like game days, partying. I don't really care about school. It's not helpful to the cause. Participants not only paid Singer off, they got to write it off of their taxes as well as part of his fake charity scam. Now, that kind of double dipping and fraud is going to spark a prosecutor's interest, especially with RICO laws. That's what they're designed for, and that's what prosecutors are using here. Now, you know about RICO with the mob, right, set up in 1970 to take them down when you couldn't prove the big crimes, but you could show how they moved the money in furtherance of criminality. So the bigger story is this dual reality. One set of rules for those with money who are willing to break the law and for those without. And it runs counter to the meritocracy that education is supposed to foster, something our laws are supposed to safeguard. Now, prosecutors got this guy and these family. But here's the dark suspicion. If this guy and I'm going to tell you more about him later and in the coming days as we learn more, this guy's no genius. If he was able to create something like this, who else? How many singers are there? Shady administrators. How many top schools are infected with this kind of avarice? in the world of academics. My concern is we don't even know the half. So how much time would fit the crimes? Let's take this up in Cuomo's court next. Telling you I've seen a lot of these situations with money and academia, and I don't think we know exactly how deep this college bribery scandal goes. I'm not talking about just with this guy Singer. But it just doesn't make sense that he's the only one. We've heard about pockets before. But if this guy could worm his way into so many different levels of the process, who else is doing it right now? The impact of money in our education system colliding with the role of wealth in our legal system? Let's take it up with Laura Coates and Christopher Hunt in Cuomo's court. Now, Hunt is going to be a good addition because he knows the rule, the world of trying to get into college and what is acceptable and what is not. And he has his own suspicions. So we're going to fold that into our analysis. Thank you very much for being with us, Mr. Hunt. Laura Coates, criminality. We understand the ethical violation. We understand that it's wrong. We understand that it would piss off the universities, assuming they didn't know. When does it become a crime? Well, it becomes a crime, frankly, when you try to use money laundering tactics and charitable organizations as a front to have criminal activity. This is a case, which you're right, you talk about the mob in the sense of using the mail services. The reason the mail service is a part of this is because when you're actually submitting your application, you essentially are doing throwing a penny into the wishing well. It's supposed to be a penny that's well-earned based on your academic success, your academic rigor. If there are other complementary notions about how you can be an asset to the diverse marketplace of ideas, so be it. But you throw it into the well. 
What they've done here is deprive people of the honest access to these honest mail services mm. by saying you are foreclosed from an opportunity to actually have your merits evaluated fairly. That, that ties into very much why the Supreme Court has talked about affirmative action, Chris. At one point, they've said that it shouldn't be necessary, necessary in the future because of a level playing field. And they focus mainly on race, talking about affirmative action or gender. But in reality, it's all about intergenerational wealth and the ability to have access to power and how the notion that some people are expected to have a merit-based application while others can simply pay for the privilege of access mm. to power. Until we have a level playing field, we certainly can't do away with affirmative action type tactics. And we also have to have and rely on federal prosecutors to use this case as a deterrent to, as you spoke of, the hundreds of thousands, perhaps, of other people. Singer's book alone says that he has been doing it for 25 years mm -hmm. and has helped a quarter of a million students. We're talking about probably a vast enterprise that goes far beyond the headline celebrities here. All right, so Mr. Hunt, uh, my suspicion that we don't know the half, not so much about Singer, but that if he was able to get this kind of access and to corrupt these types of levels of the administration of the process, that others may be doing the same thing. What is your experience in terms of what you know and what you don't in watching this process as closely as you have? I have no way to know for sure whether someone else is trying this. Like you, I would find it difficult to imagine that there are not other outliers, mm -hmm. but I do think it's important that you should view this as an outlier case where the more common practice is for parents to seek other ways to influence the process with money and influence, but they do it indirectly. And now what we're seeing, too, you know, one of the offshoots of Laura's point about diversity, that is creating pressure two ways. One, it creates this odd notion of, well, what is merit-based for them uh, and what evens the playing field? But on the part of these types of people, assuming that these people were largely white, the people who were involved in this case were, but that they feel pressure from that as well, and it is fueling a desperation that a guy like this can take advantage of. Is that also true? It's true that there are, say, three groups who are given an advantage in the admission process to elite colleges. Those would be legacies, children of alumni, uh, athletes, and first in your family to go to college. That last group, there is increasing emphasis on the part of college basically to um, have socioeconomic change by admitting more of them. But as they take up more places, I think you're right that there are fewer places which might create anxiety amongst the rich and famous who may be largely white. I mean, I think that that's going to wind up being part of the story, Laura. You know, why did they feel they needed to do this? You know, was it because their kid just couldn't cut it? Or was it because they had the money and the lack of scruples, the lack of ethics that told them, hey, any way to get an advantage, this process is getting harder all the time, I'm going to take it. Now, if that latter is what it was, there are a lot of people who are susceptible to that. Well, there is. Maybe it's a combination of both. Well, frankly, first of all, if your child lacks the merit to attend a mm -hmm. college or university, then they should not be there. Mm -hmm. And the notion that these practices somehow is feeding off of the insecurity that, that too many spots are being taken by those who are also and perhaps 
um, unlike the people who have failed to get in, are qualified to be there, really just belies the actual history of America and the notion that we're talking about the percentage of people who have been accepted into colleges and the impact of legacy and intergenerational wealth. And of course, the fallacy that if you were to take, if you were to provide spots to people who are meritoriously um, required to be there or should be there based on their own um, comeuppets and their own bootstraps and being able to do so, that somehow it is a, uh, a problem to those who were not qualified to be, be there. It's one of the arguments people make really in favor of doing away with practices like affirmative action. But in reality, that's just a fallacy. If you're qualified to be there, you should be there. But a lot of these schools um, and they're talking about here have an admission rate of less than 10%. Right. There are a whole host of people who are qualified to be there and don't make the cut that's right. for a variety of reasons. So if your child is one of them, well, so be it. But this is one of those mo most abhorrent practices. Why everyone has a visceral reaction to this, Chris, is because it smacks of a brazen attempt to exploit privilege. They thought that they should be there based on the fact that they were rich and had access. That's not a meritocracy. That's money. Mm. Um, and I think we're going to hear a lot more about it. Christopher Hunt, as we learn more facts of this situation, I want to figure out how it fits into your experience. And Laura, as always, when we figure out how deep the prosecutors want to go, I'll need you back. So thanks to you both. This is just the beginning of this story. It has to be because this dynamic is so repeatable in so many places all over the country. How could this guy be the only one? Just doesn't stand to reason. Now, much of the world talk about what's reasonable and what isn't. Much of the world is grounding the Boeing jet that just went down in Ethiopia, not America. Is it because we know better? Or is it because we're not doing something we should? Two aviation bigwigs are here to debate whether or not this is being handled the right way. Let's hear them out. Also, did you hear the president's response to the Boeing crash? He thinks he knows how to make our planes great again. True story, next. This is an odd disconnect. This country is usually really quick on the side of safety. But right now we're in a bizarre situation. The world, literally much of the world, has banned this Boeing jetliner that's involved in the Ethiopian Airlines crash. And there was another one five months ago. The United States remains one of the few operators allowing it to fly. The FAA says there's, quote, no basis to order the grounding of Boeing's 737 MAX 8. But just last night, Boeing announced it would install a new software upgrade to those very same airlines and its flight control systems after the crash of another MAX 8 in October. So if there's truly no issue, why the software patch, software that goes to navigation, operational control of the aircraft. Why isn't that enough? Let's discuss with people who know better than certainly I do. Jeff Guzzetti, former FAA Director of Accident Investigation. I told you I'd need you back. <laughs> and Ray LaHood, former Transportation Secretary under President Obama. I've leaned on you for a perspective before. Thank you to you both. Now, uh, Mr. Gazzetti, this is a, a recidivist audience. Uh, they watch the show. They know who's on it. They heard you last night saying you're not there at that point of concern yet to put the plane on the ground. Uh, Ray LaHood, you feel differently. Why? 
Chris, I feel differently because we went through this same situation while I was Secretary of Transportation uh, with the Boeing Dreamliner when batteries were exploding and catching fire uh, in, in, the, uh, in, in those planes. And we, we ordered the planes uh, brought down. We ordered them inspected by FAA safety inspectors and, and Boeing in collaboration together. Uh, and that, that worked very well. And it's well within the the right of the Secretary of Transportation uh, to bring those planes down, to have them inspected, mm-hmm. uh, and to, to, to really give the idea that safety is the number one priority to the flying public. No doubt about it. These planes are 100% safe because they've been inspected by FAA safety inspectors and also by Boeing safety inspectors. Until that's done, there's going to be a doubt in people's minds about, should I get on this plane? Will it be safe? Right. And uh, that's the, the number one responsibility of DOT is to make sure transportation is safe in all modes of transportation, cars, buses, trains. And airplanes, right? And uh, I, I just uh, this is this is to me is uh, very simple. Right. And uh, the, the the DOT and FAA should do uh, what needs to be done here the, and inspect these planes. The airlines could do it too, by the way. Uh, the airlines could do it, know, but look at look at Chris. The federal government has a major responsibility to provide the safest transportation in all modes of transportation no, in I America. Get I get it. They're the one agency that has that responsibility. I get it. The question is why they're not doing it. So let's get to that part of this because it's going to wind up being debatable. Jeff, my analysis, is it off the idea of the patchwork on the software that came out of the October crash, the last one, goes to how pilots have to correct for the system uh, in controlling of the plane. If they knew that they needed that patch, and if it turns out, whatever they get from the black box, that that had something to do with what happened here, if that's true, and I guess that's an open issue at this point as far as we know, is that enough? It might be enough. Again, it's uh, in my mind, it's just way too early to make that call. You know, uh, when you slip the surly bonds of Earth you take a risk. And the FAA uh, is all about managing risk. And uh, I served with uh, Secretary LaHood. I think he was a fabulous secretary. He was all about safety. And I'm honored to be on the same uh, television screen with him. Uh, uh, And he cited the, uh, the battery fire. Well, there you had some very clear evidence of what happened. You had scorched batteries and you had many reports. You knew what it was. You knew it was. And here you don't have a clear answer. But here's what I don't get. You guys err on the side of safety all the time. I can't tell you how many times I've investigated things. And here's what you know, you talk about putting the doubt in people's minds about safety. Here's another doubt that's going to be in people's mind. Money, Jeff. They're going to think if you're not taking these planes out of the air, it's because of money because you've had two go down in five months you have all these other countries and carriers that are taking it down why not you well i think the incentive of uh, how much it would cost if faa or boeing knew that they had a hazard but didn't say anything or do anything about it and had a third accident that would be catastrophic both financially and reputation wise my point is that there simply isn't enough evidence. And yes, you're correct about the software change to the flight control computer that was discovered uh, as a result so far of the Lion Air investigation. But that in of itself, there's no proof to indicate that that had a big role to play in the accident. 
that investigation isn't finished yet. Right. But that's, so that's what we need to know. I hear you on that. That gives me a little bit of pause in being uh, overzealous on this. But, Ray, you know, the head of the TWU, uh, TWU, the, uh, the, the, the workers union, he says that American Airlines says that they're doing a whole new set of checks on this plane because of what happened. He says they're not happening, that that's not true. Now, we have to assess whether or not he's telling the truth or whether or not his information is accurate. Um, but where is your level of confidence that what's being done needs to be done in light of the fact that the United States is standing almost alone in terms of the big players and how to treat this situation? Well, Chris, I go back to what I said before. The number one responsibility of DOT is to make sure that all modes of transportation are safe. That, that's the obligation of the department whether it's trains, planes, automobiles, buses, trucks, whatever it is. And there have been two major accidents, and there have been lives lost. And why risk that again when you can simply have the FAA and the Boeing safety inspectors working together to inspect these planes and to give an assurance to the flying public these planes are safe? And if they're not, do the fix. If the issue is, what if it's not just the plane? What if this software thing goes to the human component as well and that foreign pilots don't get the same kind of training on this software and what is, I've been told by people who are in the flight game, that you have to know some specific things about this particular aircraft. Look, that look this at Chris, 737, a, that they extended it and that an, it has a different type of dynamic that pilots need to know. So if the pilots aren't trained, that could be part of it also. So maybe you've got to look at the pilot issue. Uh, Chris, there's an international organization that can provide the kind of training that's needed if that really is the flaw. We're not going to know if that's the flaw unless we go in and really find out that there are no other technological uh, or mechanical issues that need to be dealt with. Once those are off the board and once they're convinced that it's not that problem, then the international community can come together and provide the proper training to pilots. I hear you. And look, Jeff Gozetti, you've said the same thing. So this is to be continued. Once we learn more, let's reestablish the dialogue and figure out at what point we're no longer being uh, we're no longer erring on the side of caution enough. I mean, that's the concern. Nobody wants false panic. Final word. Absolutely. We do need to learn more. I just think that it uh, it would uh, besmirch the reputation of the FAA uh, and the NTSB if if a capricious decision is made to ground a jet right. with no real uh, reason why other than two accidents involving a similar aircraft. Well, right. But, you know, again, you got the Chris, human cost. Chris, look at the NTSB will not render a decision on their investigation for at least a year, a minimum of issue, a year. They can we can't urgent safety. Chris, we can't wait that long. Yeah, I hear we, you. we need to take action now and give the flying public the assurance that these planes are safe. Well, that's something we we can't wait a year. You have to know things as soon as possible. Is that what's being done? We're going to dig into that, and then we'll come back and get you guys here to give us uh, the benefit of your experience. Jeff Guzzetti, Ray LaHood, appreciate it, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So the man who flies around in one of the most high-tech jets on the planet thinks less tech will keep us safer in the sky. And in fact, he thinks technology is a problem for a lot of different devices in our lives. I'll let President Trump explain his own logic on that one next president for some reason is weighing in on boeing's newest jet tweeting this airplanes are becoming far too complex to fly 
Pilots are no longer needed, but rather computer scientists from MIT. I see it all the time in many products, always seeking to go one unnecessary step further when often old and simpler is far better. Split-second decisions are needed and the complexity creates danger. All of this for very great cost. Um, Very little gain. I don't know about you, but I don't want Albert Einstein to (laughs) to be my pilot. I want great flying professionals that are allowed to easily and quickly take control of a plane. Now, for a president who loves to tap into the bygone days of America... Should we really be surprised? D. Lemon, how do you see this? Hold your horses, Fred Flintstone. (laughs) Hit the car. (laughs) Come on. Listen. Honestly, it's silly. There's a term for guys like this. What? Luddite. (laughs) People who fear technology and and fear what it's doing. There are a couple more terms, but I can't say it on television. Listen. The idea that the advancement of technology is a bad thing is just ludicrous and ridiculous. Um, Do we want to stay in the Stone Ages? Do we want to stay in the olden times where, again, I go back to Fred Flintstone, I know that that was a cartoon. But do we really want to do that where people are, when people used to crank their cars up from the front? Remember that when you first got it? Or we can go back to horse and buggies. What do you want to do? I mean, unless you want to get on that, yeah, we all have to get in the sardine can. So it may as well be as technically advanced as possible to keep us safe. And by the way, you pointed it out. With all of these advances, we've had the safest years ever in yeah. air trap. Yeah, air it's, it's trap. never been safer. Technology certainly helps. But I'm telling you, he knows what he's doing once again. He is tapping into this fear of the new because people feel they're being left behind. Coal is great. Let's bring coal back. Never going to happen. Not unless Never you start making these, which are advanced, right? You don't get much more techni- technically right. advanced than this, technologically advanced but than it, this. And unless you start making cell phones out of coal, it's not coming got back. Got the color right, but other than that, forget it. Look, that's the point. <laughs> is that he's tapping into something that's very real. I think this one's a little bit of a stretch, to be honest. I think I'd have to put this in the same category of the your body only has a certain amount of energy in it. Don't exercise too much because you're basically killing yourself. Well, I, just I put wonder, it in the same category of that. The well, president think about said this. Him flying around. And I'm honest, and I don't want anything to happen to him or his family or anyone with him. But God just forbid. Think, just think if, you know, okay, so go back to a plane from the 1960s or 50s or whenever he was born. And try flying on that now and see how that suits you. Look, I think that it's not about the facts. It's about the feeling that he's trying to evoke. Things used to be better before and then fill in the blank. Technology, again, I think he's on weak footing on that. But, you know, before these newfangled industries, before this multiculturalism, before this everything is okay and everyone's equal, before let's make ourselves great again. I say to people all the time. When were we ever greater than we are today? Boy, more free, more inclusive. Glenn Miller plays. Songs, Songs that made that the hit parade. parade. Guys, Guys like us, we had it made. Those, those were the days. This is my favorite part. I would have to be and Archie. You, knew what you, <laughs> you be Edith. <laughs> Guys were guys, men girls were men. Men were men. Oh my gosh, this Mr. Is we be could all use over. a man like Herbert Hoover, Hoover again. again. 
That's what he's tapping into. Everybody pull their sleigh. She, our old LaSalle ran great. That's exactly what this is. Those were the days. That's what we're going back to. Norman Lear, brilliant. Brilliant show, but what was it supposed to do? It was a parody. It was a parody of the perversity of ignorance in the form of Archie Bunker. You know what I'm hearing right now? Rat. I know. That's what I'm hearing, too. Hey, listen, I got Frank. Did you read Frank Bruni's column today? I did. About... He's right on. He said, listen, I know that all these people are caught up in in this college scam, but what's new? Happened to a lot of people. Maybe someone even in someone's family that we talk about a lot. Not Not the illegal part, but spending money to get people into college who don't necessarily deserve it. Yep. We're seeing uh, an aspect of privilege that I think we're only seeing the first part of. I think more is to come. I'll check with you in a second. See you. All right, bud. All right. Uh, That was the theme song to All in the Family, by the way. Some of you are probably too young. You may YouTube it. All right. Hollywood and the Justice Department, what D. Lemon was just talking about right there, they collided in this admissions bust. But I think you have to see it as way more than just a matter of law. It should be. But it is a window into something else that is even more dangerous than the criminality. The argument next. Listen, we know colleges can play favorites donations, favors. People with great wealth often get great access. But what we learned about today is worse than we knew, and the feds agree. We're not talking about donating a building so that a school's more likely to take your son or daughter. We're talking about deception and fraud. The man at the center, William Singer, wrote a book about getting into college in which he says the key is to develop a personal brand that allows a student to stand out. That's true. Talent, passion, sense of purpose. You know, the things parents kill themselves emotionally and financially to nurture. Those things can and should set you apart. But as the pressures rise and the acceptance rates drop, for some, brand is not enough. They want an edge. And that's the chapter in the book that he left out. The desperation to be among the privileged few, especially among the privileged those with expectations of achieving a certain social standing. Now, that can be money-making motivation for those without ethics. And this guy, Singer, smelled that desperation. And he knew the weaknesses in the system because he'd been in it. And those coaches were a weakness in the system. A lack of ethics, the surplus of those willing to cheat the system on all levels to give an edge to families who often already have every edge. He put it this way. There's a front door, which means you get in on your own. The back door is through institutional advancement. It's like a nice way of talking about what? Diversity, which is 10 times as much money. And I've created this side door in institutional advancement. He's talking about like buying buildings. He's dealing with very rich people. So it takes me to the truly frightening aspect of this. The shock of the scale and scope of the sting by the feds. 50 people, including parents, coaches, exam administrators. Imagine what we don't know, because what makes this guy special? Singer's no genius. He worked in sales and marketing. He ran a call center before finding his way into this world of educational advantage. If this guy was able to game the system, what else is going on? We don't police this. We depend on the universities. And we know what they're going to do. They're going to protect the institution. How did these families, these well-to-do types, know to go to this guy? How did he manage to keep it so quiet for so long? 
How many others are running scams on tests and other facets of admissions at individual schools or on the outside like him? This isn't something that gets a lot of attention from law enforcement. And like I said, man, schools are willing, sometimes too willing, to keep transgressions quiet. A couple of schools involved put out statements about implicated staff who are no longer there. Why aren't they already there? Did they know before now? College isn't everything, okay? Many people who go into the trades do very well, live very happy lives without the piece of parchment. And in the new tech economy, some are self-starters, and America has always been a place where an idea and ambition can get you places. But let's be honest. There's a preference for those who go to college. Studies say men with bachelor's degrees earn 900000 more in a lifetime than high school grads. For women, it's $630,000 more. That's another problem, that inadequacy. We'll deal with that another time. We need to make sure that access to advancement is as pure as it can be. It's not just being nice or even being fair. It's a safeguard of the American dream. Think about it this way. Right now, all across this country, parents are working their asses off saving for college and to give their kids a chance to get there. Kids all over the country are working their asses off as well. One better be doing that in my house right now. We can't let any of those people think that they're boxed out before the game begins. It's definitional to our promise as a people and a nation. This guy can't be the only one. We must shine a light and make an example this time and every time. Trust me, stay tuned. Thank you for watching. CNN Tonight with D. Lemon starts right now. Don't you- Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.